Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast, brought to you in association with Progress, the centre-left Labour pressure group, changing Labour policy, stopping a Tory hard Brexit, marching for a people's vote, your remain home in Labour, Merry Christmas one and all, and Merry Christmas, Jerry. Merry Christmas, Richard. How are you? I'm good. I'm. I've done none of my Christmas shopping. No, me neither. So it's going to be a Christmas Eve rush for I'm me. Just, I'm going to do it on Christmas Eve. I think. I'm going to be there with all the all the rest of you. Does it make more? It's more fun, isn't it? If you do it on Christmas Eve. More fun, more stressful. Yeah, sure. Okay, so no Christmas shopping has been done. Nope. But we have put together a bumper list of Brexiteers instead of Brexiteer of the Week this week, listener. You're getting Brexiteer of the Year. <laughs> Steve will join us shortly what to count down crown. his top 20 um, worst Brexiteers of the year. We will be um, reminiscing about some of the wonderful blunders that they've made throughout the past 12 months. First of all, me and Jerry are going to chat about the news. Jerry? It's been a newsy year. It's been a very newsy <laughs> year. I don't think that it's going to get less newsy either as we head nope. towards the, uh, the cliff edge. No, I agree. Um, let's talk about Ledsam and Rudd first. Now, we like Amber Rudd, don't we? Yeah. And she is a sensible Tory when it comes to Brexit. Yeah, on the whole, yeah. Uh, and she has sort of floated the idea of a of a second referendum, hasn't she? Yeah, well, she's kind of said that, you know, it, that it would be plausible, basically, that it could, that it could happen, um, which is obviously completely against... Um, kind of government policy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that's what that's what um, that's what Edson's saying. It's so she, she was talking on the Peston show, which actually is coming to its own now. It's on a Wednesday night, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Yeah, I like that Wednesday. Um, and uh, and she she hinted at this. Now, Ledsom very quickly said, Andrew Ledsom, of course, um, hard lever um, leader of the house. She quickly tried to sort of pour cold water on that and say, no, no. Um, yeah, said so it'd be unacceptable. Mm. Um, and instead we'd need a managed no deal. A managed no like deal. Is. Well, I, uh, it's another one of these nonsense phrases. We've had loads of Brexit. We've, um, red, white and blue Brexit. Yep. What on earth does that mean? Brexit means Brexit. Brexit means Brexit. Absolutely. And now a managed no deal. Yep. Not otherwise known as a deal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, they're, just talk, it, they're just talking nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. To, but the, the interesting thing perhaps is here, um, collective responsibility. So in in... Normally, you would have your disagreements 
around the cabinet table, yeah. and then you would all come out and agree. But these are not normal times, these are they? These certainly are not normal times. And th- this is, you know, there there is... The collective responsibility broke down some time ago, but it is quite something to have... To have two cabinet ministers saying pretty much opposing things. Although my favourite thing about this is that Downing Street has just gone nope to both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Dismissed both suggestions. I mean, the way that they're getting away with it is they're both saying that they support the Prime Minister's deal. Yeah, of course. Um, but it is interesting that everyone now is... Even government ministers now are talking about the possibility, at least, of there being a people's vote. If you think about how far that has come in the last 12 months it really is now on the table yeah and it and actually of course it might Theresa May we've said this before but Theresa May is not going to back a people's vote but it, it might be hard luck if parliament takes over yeah absolutely I remember when we were first talking about it and you know we've obviously been talking about it for a long time but it seemed like a bit of a pipe dream but yeah, yeah. you're quite right it does seem like you know it really is to borrow Amber Rudd's word plausible the problem of course there is other problems, and it, it depends how much government wants to try and stop it. Because if they would need to, if the government doesn't lay down any legislation, then they won't be able to put an amendment in to call for it. I mean, it's very complicated. Sure, there's, there are steps that need to be taken, and I'm not quite sure how that would happen. Um, but it, but it's very interesting that even government ministers, even people that are around that cabinet table, are are talking about it, not simply dismissing it. What that says to me is that it, it is being discussed in cabinet. Yeah, of course. E- it is. Even if the even if the prime minister is just shaking her head and saying it's not going to happen, there are other people clearly that think that that could be a way to to solve this this logjam. Yeah, and we had the talk last week, didn't we, about them discussing it in number 10 and and things like that. So it is it is obviously being spoken about mm. whereas before it possibly wasn't. Mm. Um Corbyn. Yeah. We need to talk about a couple of things about Corbyn, don't we? Yeah, we do. It's problematic, isn't it? What happened in the comments this week? It is rather. Um you know, now you're a stupid woman. I am. And you're a stupid man. <laughs> of course, we're talking about... Well, it d- definitely appears that Jeremy Corbyn mouthed um, stupid woman in response to what Theresa May was saying yeah. at PMQs. He has said that is not the case, and he said stupid people. We'll never actually know. No, of course we He knows, but if you look at the footage, which I'm sure you all have, he does very much look like he said stupid woman. Yeah, I think um, he did. The, the Daily Mail has called him a liar on the front page. Old, um, but yes. And it's just not a good look. And it's not really been a good week for Jeremy, has it? Now, we'll get onto that in a minute. But I, as, as a woman, and you're not stupid, Jerry, of course, um, but you, you told me you weren't offended by that, but it wasn't offensive as far as you were concerned. No, and do you know what? I consider myself pretty strident. Um, and I wasn't offended by him saying stupid woman. Um because I would quite easily call you a stupid man. Have done on do. many an occasion. <laughs> Shout with it. Just, <laughs> it was just if I'm walking past down the street. Yeah, stupid man. I get it all the time. You know, there are plenty of insults which are gendered, but I don't think that specific that that it makes it a sexist comment just because gender is used. I think that there can be a distinction, and you know, all these things they are. They're very intricate, and I don't think on this occasion that that can be portrayed. Well, at least I didn't take it that way. Um, the bit that I think struck me is the the kind of I find it very tiresome how 
up in arms the Tories all were about it, considering that two MPs have been well, accused quite. of sexual misconduct were reinstated for the no confidence vote. Yeah. Um, you know, sexism isn't something that you can shout when it suits you and then not when when it's not. Just rule it out. Yeah. I mean, my my thinking of it is that it was a rather it was rather silly. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it, it was stupid. It was stupid, stupid <laughs> man. It was stupid man. But the, but the thing is with Corbyn, he set himself up from the very beginning to be this caring, serious uh, politician that wanted a what was it kinder, gentler politics. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party are neither kind nor nor gentle. No. Um, and and I think that's where the downfall comes for him. And that's where I see the kind of hypocrisy in it. It's not in anything gendered for me no. but yeah you can't preach about wanting a kind of general politics and then be you know shouting things across the house at people but then again and so earlier in the week we had this um vote of no confidence uh which wasn't actually a vote of no confidence and um it, fast, it, wasn't it? sort of changed his mind and flip-flopped about yep. it and it was it was actually um a a vote briefed, of no confidence in the prime minister, not in the government, and Labour have, have just had a bad week, really. And when they should be talking about, when they should be laying into the government about the fact that there is no deal, that we are talking about buying up, you know, we, we're proud that the size of our fridges that we're using to put stockpile medicine in. Yep. When when the government is talking about things like that. The opposition should be absolutely slaughtering them. And yeah. again, we've said it a million times, Labour are nowhere. It's just do something. They're Anything. Nowhere. Just do something. The, and they've had so many occasions where they could have backed people's vote. John McDonnell seems to want to do that. The truth of the matter is Jeremy Corbyn doesn't. No, of course he doesn't. Um, it's going to have to be through another route. It's not going to be through Labour, but they would... I mean, catting on the picture and stuff. If 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 they were to say, "All right, let's go again," it would be it would be huge. And Just imagine if they did it right now. Go through the roof. But while they should be doing stuff like that, they're actually it, making the headlines for for this ridiculous row. Yeah. And then the other thing that is annoying is actually it's as annoying as you're right. The Tories being outraged about it was yeah. fairly ludicrous, um, but expected. Yeah. And then the Corbynistas trying to detract from, in any way possible from it, you yeah. know, as, as, as Jeremy just basically refi- refused to, you know, to admit what he said. Or he, he should have just said, even if he'd said then and there, I think you mis- I think there's been some mistake. I actually said stupid people, yeah. um, but I apologise for any offence. We could have carried on. Well, you can but almost just, imagine all the aides, can't you? kind of crowding around the computer, slowing it down, watching what was said, saying, what word can we put in there? What word can yeah, we yeah, yeah. say that he said? Yeah. You can you can see it now. I t- he should have just he should have just said sorry. But then but he didn't he's not very good at stuff like this, to be perfectly honest. Labour's um press machine is not he's not great either, but I think that's probably because it's driven by Corbyn and people like him who were unwilling to to bend at all. Mm-hmm. Um and and again another you know what should have been an easy win for Labour isn't. Um, on, on Brexit and I I actually thought the week before at PMQs he did quite well but Theresa May was very good at PMQs the week before as well yeah um, it was really strong stuff it felt like you know important politics and then this week it, we've got this ridiculous um, farce pretty much I mean it was just stupid wasn't it in around Westminster on, on Wednesday yeah do you think that 
uh, Corbyn got an easier time because of Burkow. Yeah, potentially. It's, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting little aside yeah, to the is. story, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I think yes, a little bit because it would have been pretty, pretty kind of hypocritical, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would rather. Um, but I, I think the problem with Corbyn at the moment that I keep kind of seeing over and over again is he's when Theresa May comes out strong, he seems to come out strong. Yeah. But when she's weak and when he should be hitting her hard, he kind of. Rose back as well. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a really good point. I agree with you. I agree with you absolutely. So it's it's really frustrating that he, you know, he's quite uh, quite often doing the right thing when she is coming out strong. He's taking her on and kind of yeah pushing her down that way. But it should be those points where she's not doing so well that he should be taking the opportunities and just isn't. Mm, mm, I agree. So that is where we are. Parliament is in recess. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all off on their jollies. Yeah. There's been some discussion about whether they should have even gone on a Christmas holiday, what do you think? Um, I think they were right to go on a Christmas holiday, but there has been some discussion that they should come back early mm. to get a meaningful vote in, and mm. I agree that should maybe happen. I don't really think that... I mean, Does the, it make any difference either way? <clears throat> what, what we've seen from the government is... We, all, we, were, we didn't realise at first, but it's, can-kicking has clearly been an actual policy that yeah. they've used. Um, it is an actual tactic, so I, I was never in, in, in any doubt that they would. But I saw Michael Heseltine, I think, um, was saying that they, they should be back in Parliament and getting it sorted. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they'd had to come in on Christmas Day. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Christmas would, Day sitting. Would they wear on Christmas jumpers, do you think? I reckon so. Light up, music, all that kind of stuff. So we were going to wear Christmas jumpers this week, we mentioned on the pod. So mm-hmm. where's yours? Um, I do not partake in Christmas jumpers. Do you not? Age. I thought you had one on last, last week. Oh, I don't know what you mean. You did, didn't you? <laughs> you did have one on last week. I'm a serious professional bonkers. person. I don't know what you mean. Okay, so this is our show for Christmas. We're going to put out a um, sort of best bits next week. So that's it, Jerry. The year is done. Bring on 2018. 19. 2019. Bring on 2019. Yeah. What what um what moments sort of stand out from this year for you? What were the big? Oh God, there's been so much, hasn't there? Um, Cambridge Analytica. I don't think you can you can miss that. It was a massive story this year, wasn't it? It was. I, the only the thing for me on that was that it's not going anywhere very quickly. No, it? it's, a, it's it's a very slow burn. Brexit. It's a slow burn. But um, there was some incredible stuff that came out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and how that's kind of tied into into the leave campaigns and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That was all very interesting. Um, yeah, there's been there's definitely been. This last four weeks has been fairly chaotic, hasn't it? It's I all think. been chaotic, Richard. Have you slept much this year? Well, certainly not last week. I think um, I think that when those letters finally went in, that was a big moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was clear pretty early that she was going to win. And that was also a big moment. Um, and, you know, she's she's going to see through, through Brexit now. She's going to, you know, how many times have we said she's not going to survive, that, you know, this will bring her down from from the speech, yeah. you know, right through to, to... And she carries on. And she carries on. And she is won in that yeah, battle, at least. Yeah, she has. That's true. She's going to be the Prime Minister when on, on March the 29th of that, I'm... I have no doubt whether she'll be in control of what's happening on the following day. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, So, Merry Christmas, Jerry. Merry Christmas. You're listening to the New European Podcast, brought to you in association with Progress, the centre-left Labour pressure group changing Labour policy 
stopping a Tory hard Brexit, marching for a people's vote, you'll remain home in Labour. Join today for just £3 a month at prog.rs forward slash join. That is prog, P-R-O-G dot R-S forward slash join. J-O-I-N. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. Steve has joined me for a very, very special Brexiteer. It's like a of... very special Christmas <laughs> issue, <laughs> isn't it? It's, it's really exciting. It it's the Brexiteer of the year. Brexiteer, worst Brexiteer of yeah. the year. Yeah. Um, there's, not, there's not really many good Brexiteers, though, is there? Who's your favourite? Who's, who's the good Brexiteer? A good Brexiteer? <sighs> there isn't any. No. I don't think there is, is there? No. So we have to be the worst. Um, And we've picked picked 20. I've selected 20. Um, And we'll just, we'll go through them, won't we? And last week we we talked about the the, the people that I've picked for number 20. We talked about this last week. It was the England ledges who who came out in support of Brexit and Brexiteers um, last week. And uh, I'll just refresh your memory. Peter Shilton said, I've been so impressed with Jacob Rees-Mogg in the last few days. He really knows what he's talking about. And he puts it across in a calm and calculated manner. Before changing his mind. Uh, before changing his mind, which we will come to. And Chris Waddle said, well done, Theresa May. Now let's leave. Brexit with no deal. We will be fine. Yeah, I mean... Theresa May, you're cold as ice to me. It's very disappointing, isn't it? Because... Brexit, what a summer, I love you. What a summer 1990 was. It was, yeah. It and was. Our heroes are ruining that very special time for me. How old are you? Uh, I was... Um, I was 23. Oh, what it must have been to be 23. It was very exciting. It was a very exciting time. It was the... Um, I mean, for younger people who are listening won't believe this but it was the f- people genuinely were not interested in in football uh, before no. before it this was something a very select band of folk did and it was seen to be and it was pretty grubby and hard work yes it was very much so watch football and then 1990 arrived very much so and and even you know even in in uh, 1989 and I will always tell this story and uh, people say that that surely can't be true but in uh, on the final day of, of the well, it wasn't. The, the, I think it was the, the the final Friday of the the nineteen eighty nine season. Liverpool and Arsenal played, and whoever won, Arsenal had to win at Liverpool by two goals, and they would win the league. And Liverpool just had to draw or lose by one goal. It was an incredible night, and um, and such was the interest in football in nineteen ninety in nineteen eighty nine that um, I lived at the time very near Man City's ground. Um, we went to one pub and they didn't have a TV with it on at all. It was live on ITV. Yeah, and in the second pub that we went to, um, it was already half-time. We'd already watched the first half at home. And in the second pub that we went to, um, round the corner from a big football ground, you know, yeah, you'd have yeah. thought they'd be into it. We, we had to ask them to turn it on. Yeah, yeah. And it was turned on grudgingly. And now when you go into that. a pub and, you know, there's football everywhere. It's mad. There? And actually, it's interesting because that was I was only nine but it was the first time I realised people actually watched football in pubs was when David Platt scored that goal against Belgium. Yes. Because 
I could hear the people I, after the game. I went to bed and I could hear the people coming out of the pub. I could just see over the back of the factory. Yes, and um, and and you know. So, but that would have been on a tiny little screen, tiny little screens. Who else do we think in the nineteen ninety squad well, was Bre- is Brexit? I think Psycho. <clears throat> oh, he might Stuart be. Stuart Pearce. He might be. He might be a bit Brexit. Sixty nine, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah. What about David Platt? I reckon he might be a Remainer. Well, he's, he's he's quite European. I mean, isn't he, he? he worked a lot in Italy, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. He's obviously, the great Sir Bobby. He worked in in, in Spain would, and in Holland. Been, and yeah. they love him out. in I used to um, go on holiday sometimes to a place called Sitges, which is quite near to yes, Barcelona. Yes, near Barcelona. Where, yeah. Where and Sir Bobby had a place there. And they've got a sports bar down there, and it's full of Sir Bobby memorabilia. They love him. They oh, absolutely very good. Love him. Well, yeah. he, he used to live near there. Yeah. So, uh, and then he drove to Barcelona. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And um, and my friend um, Kevin Cummings, who is a noted uh, photographer, yeah. uh, once went to interview him, Kevin, and uh, 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 went to take photos for an interview. I think it was an Esquire or GQ or something like that. And um, while Bobby Robson was showing him around, he pointed to a an olive tree, mm-hmm. uh, and he said, "Look at that tree! It's two hundred years old from before the time of Christ." <laughs> God bless him, Bobby Robson. So I think he was probably remain, but sadly, uh, Schiltz and Waddle um, are leave. But we've still got Gary Lineker. We've got Gary Lineker. Number nineteen in my big countdown is a guy called Luke Nash Jones. I've never. Heard of this guy before or since, um, but in May, uh, just ahead of the local elections in May, I was looking at some UKIP um, uh, UKIP sites and I saw Luke Nash-Jones, who's a UKIP blogger, and he was offering this advice on how the party could spring a surprise victory. And it said, you are go- a gorilla. That's urban gorilla style gorilla, not you are a gorilla. <laughs> You hide in a tree. This is why I had to clarify this. But it means urban gorilla. You are a gorilla. You hide in a tree. You keep your head down. You take that one shot and kill the king. You take out the leader. The army is lost. Chaos. The attack on yourself is halted. Victory. Focus! In capital letters. As Eminem said, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. And I think that we certainly did blow there, Luke Nash-Jones. It's like reading The Art of War. It's amazing. And perhaps as a consequence of this unorthodox strategic planning, UKIP contested 126 seats and they lost 123. You hide in a tree. You hide in a tree. You are a gorilla. Brilliant. You take out the leader. The attack on yourself is halt. <laughs> the attack on yourself. It's great, isn't it? That is true. Genius. Uh, talking of uh, kippers, young kippers, Joe Marnie. Yes, Joe. Lovely Joe Marnie. Loved her at the start of the year. She was. She was a big favourite. She was a great, dis- great distraction, wasn't she? Uh, and of course, she was the girlfriend of the then new kit leader, Henry Bolton. Still is. It's an enduring love story, it isn't really it? It really is. We should have the love story theme tune in the background. We should. And um, and of course, she said various uh, hateful things about Meghan Markle um, on Facebook, and her, her sort of erstwhile friends dobbed her in. Uh, but anyway, and then Henry Bolton lost his job, and uh, well, they've been together ever since, haven't they? And yeah. uh, and she's given a series of very entertaining interviews. Anyway, in July, uh, Joe Marnie told her Twitter followers, "You don't need an invasion of immigrants to be able to enjoy a nice curry. There's a difference between losing a, you know, I mean, <laughs> what? Why? Love her. 
You don't need an invasion of immigrants to be able to enjoy a nice curry. There's a difference between losing our culture and enjoying other cultures. Would you like to go to India and for them to have adopted British culture? I wouldn't. And imagine if you went to <laughs> India and they were all drinking tea and playing cricket and dressed in sort of Western-style clothes for the, for business. It'd be ridiculous, it would wouldn't be it? Very odd, wouldn't it? Um, and Joe Marnie's other great thing of the year was um, she she was did an interview and she was talking about the time that she spent holed up in Henry Bolton's flat in Folkestone. Uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. Uh, on the Lees in, in Folkestone. Um, and she had to hide out in Henry Bolton's flat because they were pretending that she hadn't... Uh, they, they had split up, and, <laughs> but yet they had not split up. Uh, and in fact, I think... Um, Henry Bolton at one stage carried her out in a suitcase, didn't he? I think they've admitted to that, like she was <laughs> some kind of spy. Um, anyway, uh, she did. She gave an interview saying, "I felt like Anne Frank during the war during this period." I mean, that's deeply offensive. And people said, "You know, should you think again?" And she she did clarify that. She said, "When I said that, I didn't mean I was a Jewish girl that was going to be captured by Nazis, but the situation was similar. I couldn't go outside." All near windows. Yes. So similar. it is very similar to, very to, similar. to our, Anne Frank. our very own Anne Frank. Yeah, absolutely. Neil Hamilton is a nice man, isn't he? Kissed his wife. Uh, yes, you have. You talked about. We've talked about that too many times on this podcast. <laughs> I thought I think. About it quite a lot. In March, uh, Neil Hamilton was still the UKIP leader in, in Wales then, um, and he um, he did a radio. He, he he complained about a BBC Radio Wales, I believe it was, radio segment about what kids think about Brexit, and he said that that the, the children were being childish. <laughs> he said that it was the group of 10 or 11 year olds that they had uh, found was unrepresentative because they didn't have any sort of prepubescent Brexiteers in there. He said he, di he didn't like the childish responses of the children. No. And he said that Thomas Morgan, who was the reporter, had failed to question any of the patently childish answers given to him. <laughs> you just, you know, you're just being childish there. Yes, I know you're nine. Uh, and it's yet another example of the, the old saying, kids uh, and disgraced former ministers who lose their seats after a cash for questions inquiry do say the funniest things. They really do. Uh, talking about cash. This is a shock. Is this far down? Aaron Banks is number 16. This far uh, Wow, there must be some real mad Brexiteers. If he, wants to, if he wants to send me some money, or maybe <laughs> via Facebook, then I'll bump him up a, 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 bump him up a little. But... I, I put, this was a great moment. I mean, there are obviously several great moments in, in Aaron Banks during the year. But um, in, uh, uh, it, well, it, when the Sunday Times questioned him uh, in the middle of the year uh, about a trip that he took to Moscow in February 2016, which obviously is four months before the referendum, uh, Aaron Banks said, yes, I did go to Moscow in February 2016. It was a family holiday no meetings were had with anyone and we visited the Hermitage Museum and we went on a river cruise. Now, the only problems with this are that the Hermitage Museum is 450 miles away from Moscow. It's actually in St. Petersburg. Mm. There's no river cruises in the Russian capital of Moscow in February because all the rivers are, uh, are frozen <laughs> up. And he also, he, he later said, yes, that was completely wrong. And in fact, the meeting... 
that I took in Moscow was actually not in February 2016. It was in March 2015. Ah, well, that clears that. And we, I must have gone on a river cruise then, and, and he yeah. probably would have done because the 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 boat the jolly boating weather in Moscow at the time was minus four degrees at its coldest. Oh. Um, number 15 is Andrea Jenkins, ah. uh, who is I mean she really is a true believer, isn't she, Andrea really is. Jenkins? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, what can I say? Anyway, she's married to, to Jack, uh, Jack Lepresti, uh, who's also an MP, also a Brexit hardliner. Mm-hmm. And in January, uh, she revealed that they had named their baby Brexit Clifford. Brexit Clifford Lepresti. I mean, because Clifford, look, no, no offence, but Clifford... Clifford Lepresti, it is, yeah. Strange name for a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to grow into that name, I think. You I have. always think of that big red dog. Clifford the big red dog, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, or there's Max. somebody else you, that you think about, <laughs> isn't there? Um, so they, they nicknamed their baby Brexit Clifford. Obviously, if they shorten that to Brex Clifford, it's not a, a good thing to, to do, is it, in the light of the <laughs> revelations about the former PR guru? Oh, Brex Cliff. Um, Brex oh, Cliff. Brexit Cliff. Well, that's it, the Cliff Edge, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, Cliff Edge and um, yeah, and, and Andrew Jenkins was later on later in the issue was on Question Time, and she said Britain was being outflanked by the EU because we haven't played all the cards in our arsenal, and, uh, right. and presumably then she called on Theresa May to shuffle a pack of guns. You want to play snap with her. Uh, Andrew Lilico, I've put in at number fourteen. He's yeah. he's a sort of a, a new entry, isn't he? And um. Like the uh, like Lloyd Russell Moyle with the the, the, the mace, uh, Andrew Lilico, who was Vote Leave's chief economist, sort of strode up in December and he swanned off with the title of the most unpleasant man in British politics. December the fourteenth, he tweeted, "You know when you you got an idea about something and you actually go." No, I won't tweet that. I'll just keep that to myself. Like, I mean, uh, if you've been drinking, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, tweet. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether he's been drinking or no, whether he's just generally that. unpleasant. But on December the 14th, he tweeted, it's impossible to avoid the thought that a 4 to 6% margin that the murder of Joe Cox cost the Leave vote in 2016 has had a pro- profound impact on politics. Mm. Leave was 10% ahead and rising before her horrific murder. It's one of the most influential assassinations in British history. I don't know whether he was making his own top 20 of influential assassinations in British political history. I, I, I've got to say, I found this um, really hard to stomach. It's it, deep, deeply, it's, deeply it, it's, it's so callous and unpleasant, and it was, it was uh, not mitigated in any way by Lilico uh, telling his critics to get a life. He, he called people shameful... He said, if Leave had won by an additional 4 to 6%, as it, as it would have, probably would have done, but for that murder, current political debates would be very different. Cox murdered. He didn't even say Joe Cox was murdered. He went, Cox murdered 16 June 2016. Campaigns, campaigning suspended, costing Leave momentum and direct vote losses. Now, he, to his credit, Andrew Lillico stopped short of asking Brendan Cox and his family to apologise for all the convenience, uh, but maybe he's saving that for next year. But Mm. uh, I'm really hoping that I never hear from Andrew Lillico again. I certainly don't need him in public life. Number 13, unlucky for some, is Nadine Dorries. Nadine. Uh, A novel. She published a novel in 2018. She She published a novella in 2018. She's got another full-length book due in early January. That I think, will make the dark evenings of January so much easier. I think that's going to take it to, to 10, uh, 10 published works 
um, in the last sort of four and a bit years for Nadine. Who's publishing these books? Who's a publisher? I've, I've got no idea. I've got no idea. Uh, but she just can't stop writing, and and she so much so that she's launched her own newsletter. Um, and the the one issue that I've subscribed to this, obviously, the one edition so far is brilliant, and it's got a section on Nadine's thrifty ways yeah. to make over your home. Yeah. Not thrifty ways to leave your lover. That would be <laughs> thrifty ways to leave your lover. That would, I know. I would read that. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Thrifty ways to leave your lover of well, love well, on lovely lane. Leave a note on her car. Yeah, it's quite thrifty. You have to have the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of them, my favourite one, this is a problem that we've all had, because I know that at home you've got an unsightly hi-fi, uh, Wi-Fi router, have. haven't you? Oh, you've got an unsightly hi-fi as well. I haven't got a hi-fi. You've got an unsightly... Um, <laughs> but yes, I mean, I, 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 I've, I'm very fond of my, of my apartment. I like yeah. going in there, I like spending time there. Well, but yeah. I have got an unsightly Wi-Fi router, well, and it's just ruining the whole effect. Well, it is. And, and a tip for this is conceal your unsightly Wi-Fi router. It's like something out of Viz, isn't it? <laughs> By hiding it in a hollowed-out hardback book. This is an author who's saying this. Use a scalpel to cut out all the pages inside, leaving just the front, back, and the spine, and it's ready to set the router inside and show off on a bookshelf. And that, you know, if only there was somebody around who'd written loads and loads of really useless books um, well, that I mean, you'd be only too happy to hollow out the pages I, of and then throw away. Obviously, as I think we discussed at the time, I, I took her up on, on this, but I mine is inside my DVD of uh, Betty Blue. Oh, that's right, yes. That's in a sad day. <laughs> uh, in your VHS of Betty Blue, sure. <laughs> yeah, VHS, yeah. Um, Andrew Pierce, I put in at number 12. Um, June... In June, we, we opened the Daily Mail and we discovered that the New European, according to Andrew Pearce, had moved into a war room based at Millbank yeah. Tower, yeah. a few hundred yards from Parliament, um, and it had all been sponsored by a shadowy multi-millionaire spin doctor called Roland Rudd. Yeah. Which is brilliant, because... But sadly, well, look at the view now. Yeah, well, it's magnificent. I, I can see. see. Wa- and then it's just walking centre. Yeah, Carrow Road is just down the road. <laughs> Carrow Road. So it is. I can, <laughs> you know, Millbank. I'm sure is visible, but only from the um, only from the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, and so the Mail had to retract the claim, and it apologised. And it all uh, goes to show that uh, that uh, it proved that Andrew Pearce knows as much about the new European as he does about football because uh, last year when Neymar joined PSB, v, PSG rather from Barcelona, he tweeted, Britain gives £80 million in aid to Brazil, which breaks the football transfer record by selling a player for £198 million. There's something wrong here. Well, there is, isn't there? So, anyway. Very strange. Number 11, I've got Dominic Raab. Raab. Oh, Dominic Raab. I feel like he should have another A in there. Dominic Raab. Um, Four great months as Brexit Secretary, wasn't it, for him? Yeah, brilliant. He said, we've made it clear that we will do nothing that dr- will draw a customs border down the Red Sea. <laughs> he was completely clueless. He, he said really that despite being a senior figure in the Vote Leave campaign, he hadn't quite understood that if you look at the UK and how we trade in goods, we're particularly reliant on the Dover-Calais crossing. 
He just slips his mind. Oh, it's really? Just a series of of uh, hand plant emojis. Yeah, yeah, it was basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, he, and then, obviously, and then he he, he <clears> appeared <throat> on Andrew Marr, didn't he? And he was asked a question about statistics, and he said, "Forgive me if I don't keep a laser-like focus on the substance." Well, well no. why would you when you're the Brexit <laughs> secretary? And then, obviously, he resigned over a deal that he partially negotiated himself. Brilliant, great work. work. Uh, into the top ten, it's very exciting. Oh, it now. is. Da, 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 da. Uh, I put in some of the white paper translators here, and and, um, and uh, this was this was a great story. In the summer, the uh, department, the Brexit department, and the Foreign Office got together to translate uh, a government white paper into every European language. They didn't bother with Irish, by the way, uh, or Welsh. Um, in French. Uh, but it didn't go down very well. It, they, they, I think they'd basically done it using Google Translate, hadn't they? So yeah. in French, the phrase a principal Brexit came out as a virtuous Brexit. In German, a practical Brexit became a handy Brexit. Handy. A handy Brexit. Uh, we spelled German Deutsch oh, uh, wrong uh, on page... But it's only, it was only on page one of the document, so that's right. Uh, and in the German document, instead of saying Brexit is the biggest, uh, was the biggest democratic exercise in UK history, it said Brexit is the biggest, was the biggest democratic training session in uh, in UK history. And um, we, when we talked about uh, fishing communities, uh, we uh, we tried to we, we fished around for the the right word to use, and we've got the wrong word. And instead of fishing communities, we said the act of praying for fish uh, will be strengthened after Brexit. <laughs> you um, know, they re- they really are laughing at us. They are. Yeah. My, my my buddy um, got into a bit of a Brexit dust up in Germany at the weekend. Oh yeah, there was a broken iPod. A brust up. Yeah. And um, and it's simply who did he get into a dust up with? Some Germans. Some Germans. <laughs> was he taunting them over Brexit? I'm not sure. No, I doubt very much that that was the case, um, knowing him very well. But yeah, I think um, I think they were just like pointing and laughing and going, "You stupid Brit." Great. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, yes, I think we can look forward to much more of that, can't we? Well, uh, it's kind of deserved. Is there a German word for Schadenfreude? I'm not sure there is, is there? But, you know, it's like when George Bush said, he's, he apparently said there's no, if only the French had a word for entrepreneur, didn't they? Really? I'm sure he didn't actually yeah, say no, that, but there you go. Uh, Daniel Hanan, Dan Hanan, the man, oh, Hanan, uh, man, is at number nine. What a year of humiliation for this guy it's really been. The, the brain of Brexit, almost everything he says is, is you know, demonstra- proven to be uh, untrue straight away. Um, great examples. He claimed that part of the reason for Switzerland's financial success was that they are outside the common fishers, fisheries policy. Mm. Switzerland is landlocked. Yeah, that would probably be uh, why. He wrote that the Windrush affair proved that our system worked. He said it's an mm. un- unpopular view, but, you know. Mm. Uh, he railed against the EU's unscientific ban on Argentine beef, which is a quote. The EU's unscientific ban on Argentine beef. 70% of all the uh, chilled beef exports from Argentina go to the EU. Yes. There are... You know, look, there are chains, aren't there, of Argentinian uh, steak restaurants on on, uh, on our high streets. Absolutely. He also had a sustained uh, campaign about banana tariffs, which he said were crippling British col- colonies, um, but they don't actually apply to African, Caribbean and Pacific bananas. 
at all. And his year ended with uh, a group that he used to lead, the Alliance of Conservatives and Reformists in Europe, mm. being ordered to pay nearly half a million pounds worth of EU funds. Uh, that was after an investigation into their spending. And I quite like the fact that the EU, as all this winds down, are, are, are sort of looking at these the funding of, uh, of people like Daniel Hanan and what people like Nigel Farage, Roger Helmer was a, a, another case, wasn't he, mm. um, have done with their... Uh, have done with their funding. Uh, so they've been Acre have been asked to pay back uh, nearly half a million quid of, of European Union funds. Two hundred and twenty-five thousand of that was money that they claimed for a three-day conference at a luxury beach resort in Miami, yeah. which had an almost exclusively American audience and an agenda and an agenda which barely mentioned the EU. It was also during spring break. <laughs> that would be brilliant. Uh, number eight. Gerard Batten. Ah, yes, Batty. He took over. He didn't. If he took over from Joe Marnie's big squeeze, didn't he? Main squeeze <laughs> or little squeeze? He's only a little man, isn't he, Henry Bolton? Yes, but he, he is. But he packs. But he's in the army. He was in the army. He could kill you, couldn't he? he? Could, yeah. There are a lot who of would, them like who that. Would you, who would prefer? He, didn't he say he could kill a badger with his bare hands? He, he, he said he would. He said he would. He was if he had to choose to, an initiation. Um, ceremony that would be it. Who it do would... you think would win in a fight between David Davis and Henry Bolton? Oh, it's a trick question. David Davis wouldn't even turn up, would he? <laughs> the thing is with the thing is with with them two is I think they they'd probably try out lots of it'd be like Gareth off the office yeah, fighting yeah. Gareth off the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to see that fight. Yes. Very well, but maybe we will at some point. Maybe I think I would actually. If I if I was if I was bouncing to making a decision, I think I would go for um, for Henry Bolton. Yeah, I just think David Davis. I mean, do you remember when that not very funny comedian went on stage and he was like, "Oh, yeah, oh I yeah, could have, I could have killed him." With my <laughs> Why hands didn't you then, my badger? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's all mouth, is David. Davis. He is all mouth, yes. He is all mouth. Uh, Gerard Batten, talking of being all mouth, he's fond of moaning that the EU's contributed nothing to Britain. Not a thing. Uh, in September, he's held his first party conference as UKIP leader. Yeah. It was at Birmingham's uh, International Conference Centre. Very nice. And the ICC was opened in 1991 thanks to a £50 million donation from. The EU. The European Union. So, not nothing. Not nothing at all, no. no. So, there's 50 million quid. His other highlights included he missed a public <laughs> appearance at Lowestoft Fish Market <coughs> because he overslept. He broke off from his war on Islam to declare war on the high street bakers Greggs <laughs> yes. uh, after reading that they were going to rebrand towards a gender-neutral business model following criticism that their name sounds too male. And he, he mounted his high horse with an enthusiasm not seen since Catherine the Great was a girl. Uh, and he was on Twitter, a cheese roll is a cheese roll, when will this madness stop? And then somebody had to point out to him that it was uh, that it was a, a, a the Greg story was on a spoof news website DM and me. he was just a bit too old to understand Joe. Uh more UKIP. This was I think this is one of my favourite stories of the year. Back at the February uh, extraordinary general meeting of UKIP, which saw Henry Bolton sacked um, over the Joe Marnie affair uh, and uh, Gerard Button sort of take over uh, they called on uh, questions from the floor or speakers from the floor and one of them was a, an elderly delegate from Thanet and he told the crowd 
I've got to read this. This is so great. I've got to read this verbatim. We all make mistakes, especially with wives. My second wife was considerably younger than me, and she was a little bit feisty. (laughs) What happened was I went with my second wife to a conservative function, and she decided to wear a see-through cat suit. Now, just stop there, because... There must have been a moment with you know. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. What any, do you think? Anyone of this? who's ever been in a relationship, oh, great, yeah. you know, there's that moment, isn't there? I, in my experience, I tend to be ready at yeah, this yeah, moment, yeah. and and you see through, and, and I've got my see through, and and my lady friend would say, oh, "What do you think?" Yeah, and you say, "Well, well we're going you to, look wonderful tonight. We're going to a conservative function. Perhaps this see through catsuit isn't yeah. appropriate." But he didn't say that. No. So she wore a see-through catsuit. The result was I was ostracised. She was ostracised. <laughs> ostracised as a new, I imagine. And it took me a bit of time to get back to my position with the council. I suspect this is something like the situation that we have at the moment. Um, I mean, amazing. I would, wouldn't Do you, you just it was love... full-on see-through? I wish, I, if, oh God, imagine if there was video Wouldn't footage. you love to have been in the hall to hear a speech like that? That is the I best... Don't... That's the best thing that you're going to ever hear at the UK conference. I would have loved to have been in the, in the, at the Tory conference, at the Tory function, when that lady walked in with a see-through cat suit on. Now, after this, uh, the, the party's outgoing chairman, whose name escapes me, I can't remember what he was called, uh, 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 but the, the guy who was the outgoing chairman yeah. explained that despite this rambling speech about see-through cat suits <laughs> and the fact that Henry Bolton had just been dismissed... <laughs> Uh, the party leader, the day had gone well and he said um, it had gone well because at our last AGM, a party member died of cardiac arrest and at this point today, every member is still with with us. On that basis, I consider today to have been a success. So Uh, nobody died. Having attended In 2017, nobody died. um, I'm surprised some more people didn't have a cardiac arrest thinking about this see-through cat suit. Andrew Bridgen is number six. <clears throat> yeah. uh, what do they call him? Thick as mash. Thick as mash. Thick and as other things. And other things. Yeah. Spud you don't like. That's yeah. one of his nicknames, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spud you don't like is good. Um, I enjoyed him. Uh, did you see him, by the way, um, on the day of the confidence vote? He, he walked off the, the BBC's podium, didn't he, rather than... Um, talk to James Cleverly, even though that they are both Conservative MPs. Yeah, he really is a yeah, he's yeah. Uh, and his career highlight came in October. He went on Radio Five Live, Stephen Nolan show. Uh, Stephen Nolan's quite a clever bloke. Very good. If bloke, I was yeah. Andrew Bridgen, I would not have accepted uh, going on that show. It's like going. It would be like, you know, it would be like him going on with James O'Brien, wouldn't it? It's a very bad um, idea. It's a bad idea. Anyway, he went on Radio 5 Live and he said that he revealed that he thought that everybody in England was entitled to an Irish passport and everybody in Ireland was entitled to an English passport. And Stephen Nolan was shocked and he went, are you sure, are you sure about this? And he said, as an English person, I have the right to go to Ireland and I believe that I can ask for a passport, can't I? I'm sure that we currently have a reciprocal agreement where I can go to Ireland and ask for an Irish passport and someone from Ireland can come to the UK and ask for a British passport. That's the system that we have. Terrifying stupidity. He's a member of the European Research Group. But he clearly hasn't done any research into Europe. Clearly not. Um, I think I might have gone to... If this was true, I think I might have gone to Ireland by now and asked for an Irish passport. <laughs> I'd try it. Uh, Rod Liddle 
number five. He's straight in at number five with a bullet, and I've put I've put him in because of a column that he wrote last week when mm. he said that Theresa May was a busted flush. And she had to resign despite winning, convincingly winning the confidence vote. And he said the next Prime Minister of Great Britain should be David Davis. <laughs> and he said Dominic Raab would not be a bad choice. Yes, he f***ing would be a bad choice. But we need a, need a clever little bastard who knows his stuff. <laughs> so you Tories, get behind David Davis. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Right. Which is almost like writing, we need somebody without a dodgy past who isn't a complete cock. So come on, get behind Rod Little. <laughs> cometh the hour, cometh the man. And talking to David Davis, I've got him in at four. Oh, He's the fourth oh. worst Brexiteer of the year. Wow. Uh, you could probably guess now who the, who yeah, the, the top three are. Yeah, you probably if you've been paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was absolutely outraged, wasn't he, at being press-ganged into approving the Chequers Agreement. Friday, July the 6th, that was. But he only resigned as Brexit Secretary on Monday, July the 9th. Why? Why, don't, why not just resign straight away? Why not just walk out of there? Well, the, it might have been because if they did that, they would have to walk well, quite a long way. It might have been that. He could have phoned a taxi, couldn't he? Anyway, he could have resigned. Why, why didn't he resign the next day, then? Well... He was clearly grappling with his conscience, wasn't he? But coincidentally, by pure coincidence, David Davis is a big motor racing enthusiast, and the delay gave him the chance to spend Sunday, July the 8th, the day before he resigned, as a VIP hospitality guest at the British Grand Prix in Silverstone. He was spotted in the pits, which is a familiar venue for David Davis, and he loved all the chicanery. Um, (laughs) When he was asked about this, when he was asked about this, he said... My resignation was the sort of thing you have to think carefully about. It wasn't a simple or easy decision. It takes time. And where better than to mull over this in the peace and quiet of a Formula yeah, One race absolutely. where the cars go round and it's 140 oh, uh, it's decibels, brilliant. Brilliant. which is as loud as a jet plane. It's brilliant. So it's a place for calm contemplation. Yeah. Nigel Farage is number three. Farage, number three. And I, I, surely you would have been everyone's favourite. He hopped away from his little lily pad in September. It didn't go too well for him. He went on tour to Australia. Yes. He played at the 2,500 capacity Brisbane Town Hall and he drew less than 500 people. Mm. And his Sydney gig was cancelled altogether. Less than half the tickets were sold, uh, and that was despite the Ticks.com website offering them at a 40% discount. And later in the same month, he was the headliner at the first big Leave Means Leave rally. You went to this, I was didn't there, you? yes. What and happy it, days And it was were. at Bolton Wanderers's. <clears throat> it was. I had, my, um, I had a T-shirt on that said... Don't blame me, I voted Remain. Yeah, yeah, and they took it in good grace, didn't they? They pretty much did, yeah. Yeah, um, anyway, uh, so that was the... Uh, it was on a Saturday in um, in September, and uh, luckily Bolton Wanderers were, were away that weekend, so that was all fine, but the organisers had failed to notice that the it was the same day that the North West Town was hosting its annual Pride event, mm-hmm. and it meant that all the Brexit attendees had to get their way past a big... LGBT plus parade to get to the venue <laughs> yes. and then when Nigel Farage had finished spreading his gospel of diversity and tolerance uh, they could all go back into the town's Victoria Square and there was a big pride party and it yeah. featured live performances from K.Y. <laughs> Kelly and Davina de Camp. And they all did. And they all did. Every yeah. single Every one of them did. Every single one of them. They uh, all went on that bus. They got, in the, they got in the parade with the floats on that bus. They did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were dancing to Europop. 
Uh, and uh, yes, and Boris Johnson in at number two. And the year began really badly for Boris. In January, researchers in Switzerland discovered that he was the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of an 18th century woman whose mummy, which was riddled with syphilis, had been found buried under a church in Basel in Switzerland. And uh, he, it's humiliating to find out that you're related to somebody with such a notorious past, said the syphilitic mummy. Either they can't speak, but it's a good joke. Um, Twelve months of turmoil followed. Boris Johnson, he couldn't stop proposing bridges, could Loves he? a bridge. Even though he had such a disaster with the old garden bridge when he was a London mayor. 46 oh, million rubbish, squids yeah. he spent on that, and, yeah. and nothing was ever done, was it? Um The first Brexit bridge he wanted to build was between Britain and France, and this was ridiculed (laughs) when it was pointed out that it was, you know, it's going to be a big construction job anyway, but the the path between Britain and France is really quite busy. It's a big shipping lanes, and so you would have to build a bridge that stood 500 metres above the waterline to stop all the cargo ships hitting it. I mean, I, I... And then somebody also pointed out that the... You know, the Channel Tunnel also exists. Yes, that's We, we have a way, problem, don't think, we, yeah. of getting goods and people. Um, I'm a big fan of infrastructure spending. Yeah, yeah, I like good. building stuff. Yeah. I'm always moaning about it, as you're fully aware. We need more roads, I say. Yeah, we do. Bridges, build yeah. them. Airports, one at the end of every street. Yeah, great. Up yeah. to me. But um, I understand that there are environmental impacts in this. I'm t- don't, don't tweet me, I'm using this to affect. But, but, but... Just coming up with bonkers ideas, like let's build a ladder to the moon or something, that's not the answer, is it? Moon ladder, the Brexit ladder! Now I've said that, though, that is a good idea, it isn't is. it? Yeah, the yeah, moon yeah. ladder. There's only one man who could propose <laughs> that and have it taken with any credibility. Um, once, so, so, all right, that's a bad idea. He p- then pivoted to a Brexit bridge between mainland Britain and Northern Ireland. Oh, that's better, yeah. And that sounded miles better, um, except for the fact that a retired offshore engineer pointed out that we've been dumping, the Ministry of Defence has been dumping unexploded munitions oh. in the Irish Sea for years and years. I find that a little bit disturbing. And, uh, and, and, and the, the lane in which this bridge would be built, it would it's, at its lowest point, it would have to cross a Ministry of Defence dump which contains 1.5 tonnes of unexploded music, munitions. Oh, dear. Um, and then they said that because of the great depth of much of the 22-mile route, the project would require 54 support towers of heights that have never been achieved anywhere in the world. So ambitious. It's ambitious. I don't. I mean, if they could make it work, it'd be great. Yeah. It seems unlikely, Boris. It does. Uh, but the Brexiteer of the year, the worst Brexiteer of the year, is Jacob Rees-Mogg. And what a terrible year he's had. Brexit is more important than anyone but the Queen. Uh, said uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was the chairman of the 1822 committee, as I call him. Uh, and he started the year off posting uh, a video of him teaching his two-year-old son, Alfred Wolfric Layson, Pius Rees-Mogg, to say Brexit. Well, it's a lot easier than uh, teaching him to say Alfred Wolfric Layson, <laughs> Pius Rees-Mogg, I suppose. He spent a lot of the year, didn't he, railing against the idea of, the, of having a people's vote, despite the fact that he started the idea of a people's vote in the first place. Yeah. In, in, it was in 2011 that he said we could have two referendums. It might make sense to have the second, second referendum after the negotiation is completed. Um, but now he doesn't want any more referendums. 
he's just a man of contradictions, isn't he? He, he the, really the old is. Hogwarts ghost. Um, he opposed the liberalisation of Irish, Irish abortion laws, despite admitting that his uh, investment firm, uh, Somerset Capital Management, have put five million quid into, into a firm with which makes pills used in abortions. He wanted a freeze on Russian assets in the UK after the Salisbury attack. Uh, despite his own investment firm having 217 million uh, stake with Russian companies, including quite a lot of Russian companies that are on the list, uh, which is banned from uh, companies banned from trading in America because they have close links to Vladimir Putin. Mm. Um, Somerset Capital Management, they also launched an investment fund in Dublin, didn't they? They did. Nothing to do with Brexit, though, no, no. he said. Uh, and then they uh, they issued a warning. They even issued a warning about Brexit to uh, <laughs> to prospective clients. They said uh, that in the event of a hard Brexit, which obviously Jacob Rees-Mogg says will be fine, uh, there will be considerable uncertainty as to the position of the UK and the arrangements which will apply to its relationships with the EU. And then at the end of the year, we've had this absurd thing. Uh, he uh, agitated for a vote against Theresa May. Uh, he lost the vote, humiliatingly. And so we were in a situation where he explained that while 5248 was a clear mandate for leave at the referendum, 6436 for Theresa May and the confidence vote was a total disaster and meant she had to resign immediately. And then this week, he said that he's changed his mind. <laughs> he's changed his mind. Now, he's changed his mind in about seven or eight days. The country's changed its mind in, in two and a half years, but he won't have any of it. So, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Crackers Jacob, as we like to call him, is the worst Brexiteer of 2018. Jacob, thank you so much for all the joy that you've given us this year and congratulations on your award it's been considerable yes uh, what should the listener do right now well I think have a mince pie yeah a bit of a sherry yeah put your feet up yeah think about what's your favourite Christmas film watch Die Hard maybe well I'm I just, I'm not having Die Hard as a Christmas film just because it happened at Christmas doesn't mean it's a Christmas film but I like to watch it at Christmas oh yeah that's fine it's a good film uh, and what's, what, what Christmas music do you like me yeah I'm. I will be listening to uh, some Morricone. A bit of Morricone. Yeah, I think yeah, I find yeah, that that's yeah, quite yeah. Christmassy. That is n- and not perhaps, really, is it? But that's what I like to listen to. Though. And perhaps maybe some. Um, let's try and think of something a bit more modern for the kids. Phil uh, Spector's Christmas oh, album. I tell you, there's a band you like called Cabbage. Yeah, yeah. They've released a Christmas single. Have they? Yeah, okay. check it out. Cabbage's Christmas single. Uh, but apart from when you've done all of that and enjoy, I hope you enjoy yourself. It's been a reasonably horrendous year, it hasn't, it? Rather, hasn't it? And I'm not sure that the first four months of next year, three months of next year, are going to get Keep any better. Keep the faith. Uh, after that, obviously, we won't be able to do this podcast anymore because there won't be any electricity or... Oh, we'll be be- it'll be Brexit Utopia, so we'll be beaming it straight into your... Oh, no, we'll be in a prison cell. That's, that's <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. But it'll be a prison cell, a prison manned by unicorns, so that will be fine. Um, uh, so thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I say this every week, please subscribe to it. Don't just download us both willy and nilly. <laughs> subscribe to it, to, to it. Leave us a lovely review with lots of stars on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, join the New European uh, Facebook readers group. Like the New European on Facebook. You can follow the New European on Twitter at the New European. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Sanglesey. S A N G L E S E Y. Or you can follow me at Poritz. P O R R 
I double T. Merry Christmas, Steve. Merry Christmas, Richard. That was the New European Podcast brought to you in association with Progress, the centre-left Labour pressure group, changing Labour policy, stopping a Tory hard Brexit, marching for a people's vote, your remain home in Labour. Join now at prog.rs forward slash join. That's it, listener. Merry Christmas. We will be back next week with one of those festive roundup shows. So while you're all enjoying Christmas, I'll be in here cutting that pod and it will be with you as normal. The paper is out now. It's a bumper, double Christmas edition with lots of great stuff. Politics, Brexit, as you'd expect. Lots of culture. But there's also um, a lot of, lots of fun stuff as well. The quiz is devilishly hard. Check that out. Merry Christmas. Until next time, Mr Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.